So today, in lieu of me and Scott talking to Sophie Parkinson, it's just me talking to Sophie Parkinson. Uh, Sophie, um, we sort of had communications for quite a while over Twitter and the internet and all that kind of thing. Um, but something piqued my interest um, in terms of trauma-informed skills. So I, I've got a long list of all the titles you've got, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and mash them into some sort of incoherent babble. Hello, Sophie, um, and. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of give us a run through of who you are and what you do? Good evening. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of different hats. My hat that's brought me here today is my researcher hat. And I'm okay. researching um, education professionals' perspectives and understandings of trauma-informed approaches in education. Even that in itself is a bit wordy, isn't it? Yeah, very topical. I've boiled though. that down as much as it it can be boiled down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also an adoptive parent. I was right. a teacher until recently, and I'm now a behaviour outreach caseworker. Oh, I mean, there's lots of places to start. Can I start at the end? What is a behaviour outreach worker? So we work for, um, it's through Family Action, which is a big kind of umbrella charity that does lots of little projects all over the country. Um, but we're Lincolnshire boss and it's the Behaviour Outreach Support Service, and we work with children who are at risk of exclusion. Um, we like meet with the children, we meet with the parents, we meet with the school, we come up with a plan for like things that school could try and work that we'll do with the children. We work with them for like 22 weeks or something, and then hopefully by the end of that, they're less at risk of exclusion. That sounds perfect. I mean, it sounds like a really important job. And is it behaviour in the classroom or that you're sort of primarily focusing it on? Yeah, it's mainly school because it's schools that do the referral. We also do training for schools as well, including trauma training, which is totally my bag. Right. Well, I'm intrigued by that job, but you must find yourself. I'll tell you why I'm a bit intrigued, because I was thinking, and this links into your PhD, um, is that I just saw something by the government behaviours are, um, this, even just today, that was sort of... Uh, it, inflammatory is that the right word to use is that too much of a word um he doesn't normally do inflammatory does he no he's so so measured and uh you know and sits on the fence on so many issues you know so that's tom bennett if people are not familiar with him but he was just talking about how you know he was kind of just sort of almost mocking the idea that we think about children's needs in those moments of misbehavior so tell me a bit about what you think about that kind of approach I think that's a big part of it. I think trying to understand teachers' perspectives and understandings of it will... It's tricky. I feel like I need to rewind right right back. Go for it. Start at the beginning. So, I mean, maybe how did you even get into this? Do you, do you, do you tell it however you want to tell it. Ignore my questions. So I, knew what, I knew I wanted to do a master's at some stage. And by the time I actually got round to doing my master's, because it was, I did half my master's as part of my PGCE during my teacher training. So I only had half the master's left to do. And by that point, I had these two adopted children. And I'd started learning about therapeutic parenting and all that kind of thing. And I, I just really wanted to know what it would look like if a school was more therapeutic, basically, or you'd call it trauma informed now, but this was 2018, yeah. I think. So yeah. And I did a case study of a school in Birmingham who um, Stuart Guest is head teacher of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's lovely. Um, and that was really interesting. So that was my master's. And then I, I'd only done half a master's, so I, I kind of wanted to keep going. 
and I handed in my master's in oh about March 2020 there was a lot of stuff going on at that point sounds familiar Hmm. yeah um and then I kind of got the idea for my um ed d study it's technically a professional doctorate rather than a phd so yeah that doesn't make much difference does it um basically that covid was making people more interested in trauma-informed if that makes sense yeah but that was my original proposal but unfortunately i don't have a time machine and i couldn't go back to before covid to see what people thought about trauma-informed approaches then so i'm just doing what people think about trauma-informed approaches now because no one's ever asked teachers in the UK what they think about trauma-informed approaches. Yeah, so I mean, that the question before that then is, well, how do you define a trauma-informed approach? Oh, yeah, and that that's like a... That is a can of worms, and I'm still working on that. I've only interviewed five people so far. I'm aiming for 12. But so far, it's kind of a mix of... Um, neurodiversity and reasonable adjustments and um relational approaches therapeutic parenting there's a huge big mishmash and people understand different things um aces is a big part of it and one of my research questions is whether or not people in different parts of the uk think about it differently because obviously scotland has got their ace aware nation yeah so they're very ace focused so i mean how would you i mean do you get to give a definition for what you would call a trauma-informed school? I'm, I'm hoping by the end of it, I've got a definition. But I think through doing the research, my one of our um, supervisors talks about the mess of doing research. And I've basically just got to make this big mess. And I thought I understood it. And now I've spoken to all these people and I'm going, ah! But I'm hoping by the end of it that I've brought it all back together and I understand. Because I in my head, I... I kind of know bits of what is trauma informed, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, you think it's this, and you think it's this, and you think it's that. Okay. Well, give me a few definitions. Give me a few, de- like, give me a few, and um, just to give us an understanding, because I think, like you say, it's it's bandied around everywhere. It's it's become really a common phenomenon. So you see it written in, you know, on tweets and Facebook, on books, on podcasts, and um, people talk about trauma informed. What? What can you give me a series of definitions that would maybe start us off? So the one I like best is the big T and little T trauma. So I was speaking to one of my participants who was, doesn't actually know that much about trauma informed approaches, and she knew about like if there'd been a car accident or the death of a parent, things like that. That's big T trauma. That's like something that happens that overwhelms the senses, and it affects you. You might have some sort of post traumatic stress disorder from it, um, and then. What is not thought about quite so much is little t trauma, which is that kind of, there's no big event, but there's enough little events that do significant harm. So abuse and neglect. And then you've got got developmental trauma as well, which is kind of like little t trauma, where someone's been abused or neglected from conception, and it's actually affected the way that their brain has developed. Right. That's one of the definitions. (laughs) Well, that's the definition of trauma, but so what is trauma-informed? Trauma-informed is being aware of that, and I think it's misnamed personally. I'd like to rename it developmentally informed. Would that be okay if we just stopped everyone calling it trauma-informed and renamed it? Well, yeah, so renamed it from trauma-informed to developmentally informed. Yeah, because it's understanding that (laughs) developmental trauma 
will delay development of the brain in some areas in the same way that autism delays some areas of development and ADHD delays some areas areas of development. It's yeah. I feel like we've not even got off the launch pad. I know. (laughs) Um, But that maybe speaks to my perception then, that if you're talking, if you were to go to a school and say, are you trauma-informed? They might say, absolutely. Um, And you might go to another one, but they may not be. But by their own terms, they may be. And you may go to another school and go, are you trauma-informed? They go, oh, no, we're not. But they totally are. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time it's we did a course on it once, or the Senko went on a course on it, and then there's therefore the school is trauma informed. And actually, when I did my masters, I was really strict. It was so hard finding a school that was the hen's teeth of schools. I scoured so many behavior policies looking for very, very low evidence of behaviorism, basically, until I found right. that one school. I think it is the only school in the whole so, country that I would really call trauma-informed. Right. So, but well, when you say behaviourism, explain that for me, for people who are listening. What do you mean by behaviourism? So the government seems to rely on behaviour being purely controlled through reward and punishment. And the old iteration of the sort of boilerplate behaviour policy for schools that the government wrote, I did count there were four incidences of the words praise and reward and there were over 20 incidences of the words punishment and sanctions. So you can see the the leanings of the government towards children's behaviour there, basically, which is interesting because Mr Skinner, BF Skinner, I can't remember his first names, but he was the guy that came up with behaviourism, one of the guys that came up with behaviourism. He trained um, pigeons to play ping pong using behaviourism, but even he said the emphasis should be on the reward and not on the punishment. Right. So it's it's taken, I mean, there's an element of, I sort of get behaviorism and, and I sort of kind of agree with it, but it feels like it's, it, like you said, that if we've got a purely behaviorist approach, then are we stripping out any, is that just refusing to acknowledge that there's different children? Yeah, and the development rates of different children. I mean, it's a tool in a toolbox, but, you know, not every child is a nail. So if we keep hammering them, some of them need screwing in. They need some delicate care. Well, yeah, yeah, if, you know, that's, that, which is Maslow's hammer, isn't it? You know, if every problem is a... If all you have is a hammer, every problem's a nail. Um, yeah. And that, that, I suppose, speaks explicitly to the idea that if we, if you see children's behavior through behaviorism then 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 you just see in terms of well we'll just punish them till they stop doing it yeah and we can see by the fact that children get detentions and isolations and things like that over and over and over again it's not working is it for some children absolutely not um and the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result yeah i mean yeah absolutely that I feel like I feel like we kind of we've we started this conversation. We've gone we've gone we're sort of into a maze already. It's just such a such a murky murky issue. So again, back to this idea of trauma informed. Then, so you talked about you know a school that like I used the big T and the little T, um, but that's not a definition I've heard. I've I've heard about you know I looked at 
sort of materials where we understand trauma, that we have an appreciation of trauma, that we kind of commit ourselves to not re-traumatizing children. Is that is that a fair definition of? Yeah, that, is there that... is the U.S. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration did come up with the definition of trauma informed, which is for all services, so healthcare services, government services. Um, one of it is to realise the widespread impact of trauma and understand paths for recovery. Uh, one of it is to recognise the signs and symptoms of trauma. Um, putting it into policies and practices. And number four is basically stop re-traumatising people. So yeah. avoid re-traumatising them when you're working with them. So when I think about people like Karen Traceman, who's MB, who's done lots of work with schools and children's social care, and, you know, that's an area that she's incredibly prevalent in and good, you know, very good. And that, from what, what I've read of her materials, that's the definition that she, or that, that is sort of woven into the work that she does. I, mean, I don't want to kind of say that. I was going to say yeah. that she that she uses, but she does a lot more than that, doesn't she, as well? But that's that's woven into the work that she does. So uh, have you come across any schools who are using that definition? I don't think schools are using necessarily a particular definition. I think they've all got a different understanding of it. Obviously, I'm only speaking to individual teachers, so it's more like what they've taken from it. But, yeah, in education, it's not really a big thing yet. You've got odd schools and odd individuals in schools who are fighting the fight for trauma-informed. Mm. And there are some um, local authorities that are starting to go down the trauma-informed path. Like, um, I think it was Hounslow. They've got a like a working network of trauma-informed, but it's it's rare. Hmm. So in terms of your study, we haven't got back to the original question. We've yet got back to, uh, I can't remember what the original question was. Um, how did you get into behaviour support? But um, I, um, yeah, behaviour outreach support. Um, how do you, are you still looking to find people to take part in your study? Yes, I said I'd have 12 to 15 and I've had five. So I need at least seven more people. Um, and I'd quite like to, to answer the question, do people in different areas of the UK have different thoughts about it? I need to speak to some people from Northern Ireland and Wales. I've spoken to one or two people from Scotland. So um, how would people get in touch with you if they were a teacher and worked in the school? Is, is it primary or is it secondary? Is it what's the kind of is it a narrow definition, a narrow kind of it's field you're looking at? Primary or secondary, but mainstream, because I. For my pilot study, I did look at just anyone working in education, and I got quite a few people for that, but they were all working in APs or in special schools. And I think they're better at understanding it, but mainstream, not so much. I'm just looking at mainstream, primary or secondary. Um, and my research Twitter is at TIA Insight. TIA Insight. Right, so people can, we'll put a link to that as well in in the show notes, as so people can find out more. Um, so tell me in terms of you, your practice, because it sounds to me like you've been on a journey. Um, yes. Is that fair to say? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I would say um, so. Good. Um, so tell me about your experience then of you becoming a teacher and then working in school. Because I think often, and I think there's a legitimacy in someone like Tom Bennett, who, sh- you know, he shall not be named, uh, the, ado- the not the adopters, the behaviours are, who does sort of talk about how, how do you manage that within a classroom of 30 children? How do you manage the needs of one or two or three children who've got, have experienced adversity, trauma, complex needs, neurodivergent, how do you do that? So what, tell me about your experience of being a teacher and how that, how you kind of, how that worked out. So I was a teacher before I adopted and in my teacher training, we had a two hour session on behavior. Oh yeah, that was it. So there I was working with these kids and it was lovely. And I was, you know, I'd like to see myself as a nice teacher, but then the following year, we started looking into adoption and we did the training courses and we did a training course on attachment and grief and loss and that kind of thing. And I'm sitting there learning about attachment for the first time in my life. And I'm thinking, Oh, that's so-and-so in my class. Oh, that's why little Jimmy does this. Oh, that totally explains why Bob does that. And it like the scales fell from my eyes and you don't know what Mm -hmm. you don't know until you know it. And then when you know better, you do better. And it, it changed my approach to teaching. Um, and yeah, so then the maths has happened. Well, then, yeah, but tell me then, how did it change your approach? Because again, I'm conscious that you've got a classroom of 30 children. What age group did you teach? I was teaching year four at the time. So that's what? Eight, two. nine. Eight, nine, yeah. Know. Yeah. And I um, had some that had um, neurodiverse needs. I had a lot of children who came from a background of poverty. And it, it just made their behavior make sense, basically. But what did you do? I think I was just I was just able to emphasize more. I used the behavior system that the school used differently. So they used like a traffic light, you know, yeah. you're on a number as a warning and then you're on a red. And I think I approached that differently. I was more likely to just sort of have a quick chat quietly to one side rather than like, right, you're an amber, you're on red. Yeah. Because and it just worked better basically. Mm-hmm. So it was working with because I am um, I work some of the work I do I work with social work students and some of them are placed within school context and um, it was really fascinating to have sort of similar conversations at the end of their placements to go well what are your reflections and they what they found what they highlighted which was in terms of children who were sort of who sort of fell off the tracks slightly of behavior pathways <laughs> nice language um. But the, the, what they joined was that they kind of said, this isn't necessarily about children, this is about teachers. Mm. Um, and they, they highlighted that there was a higher prevalence amongst, uh, they were able to identify a few teachers. T- teachers were actually struggling in terms of they were, you know, what they found out was that teachers who were, for whatever reason, their, in their professional lives they weren't doing that well and they felt under, they felt under scrutiny and there was a kind of this down pre- downwards pressure to to maintain behavior, to do better, to be, to be more, I don't know, more punishment reward, more behaviorist, be more, uh, more, more boundaries. And that they, so they were operating out of kind of a sense of in, inauthenticity and kids see through that stuff, don't they? They see yeah. when, they see when you're um, on the ropes. We know that it's easier to respond to our children more empathetically when we're looking after ourselves and we're performing self-care and we've got our own well-being. If we've got loads of pressure, then we're just going to take that out on the children and that's mm. not fair on them. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so you said then you so you taught and how was that? Was that sort of seen within the school that you were doing that you'd got this slightly different perspective? And did you sort of talk to people about what you'd been learning? I think I started to, and I started waving books at people whose books <laughs> generally tended to just get lost for years. And then when my children started school, the books followed them up, you know, year on year, and the teachers didn't read them. And it was a bit frustrating. But generally, I worked for a nice school. They were nice people. But yeah. yeah, I was trying to bang this drum. I'm still trying to bang this little drum. Yeah. So why did you then move into sort of um, the behaviour outreach support? I just wanted to use my skills with behaviour, basically, because I was I ended up teaching French. And oh. I don't have a GCSE in French. So I was kind of that's a situation where I was out of my depth. And I quite yeah. enjoyed teaching French, but. It's not what I've spent my time researching and thinking about. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about trauma and stuff. So I wanted to do something that used that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so tell me where, what are you going to do with your research? What What would you like to, What what's your hope and aspiration for it? Well, I'm hanging the whole research on this theory called social representations theory, which right. is kind of... Um, common understandings where lay people i hate the word lay people but that's part of the definition make meanings of things and they can use these meanings to kind of communicate about ideas um for example thatcherism thatcherism is a social representation you don't need to know about loads and loads of stuff about uk economic policy to know that thatcherism was about you know um nationalization and things like that or the opposite yeah. no privatization that's the one see i don't know yeah. about that reason. Not, not quite old enough but it's it's a social representation of a an aspect of economic policy and i'm just trying to see if there are social representations within people's understanding of trauma informed and then if we can use those social representations to teach other people about trauma informed approaches and then it will make training more effective hopefully that's right. the plan do you do training? I mean, you clearly you've got a good understanding. So do you train teachers? Are you, are you kind of up for that? I do, yeah. It's a training that's been written by someone else within my organisation, although I have put in my tuppence. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, sure. I, I love shit, just getting that message out there and seeing people's faces when they're like, oh, <laughs> so that's why. Uh, are, are people receptive to that? Because I think uh, this sort of the stereotype is, you know, the overworked teacher who's kind of just sort of falling back on tried and tested methods or, you know, or well, they're not tried and tested, just methods um, that are sort of embedded within the school culture. Um, are you finding people rece are receptive? Yeah, yeah, they are. I don't know if it's just school culture either. I think it's our culture as people that we've, grown up with behaviourist parents and we've had like super nanny and things like that our minds are just bent towards behaviourism which is why it's really really hard to stop being quite so behaviourist I mean I still find myself using behaviourist things with my own children and then I reflect on it and think well maybe that's why that didn't work I mean but the, I mean to some extent some behaviourism works doesn't it but it's yeah, like it say, it's, it's a tool in the toolbox isn't it it's um, if it doesn't work, then right, move on. Try a different tool. Don't keep 
that's back to the hammer. Don't keep hitting it with a hammer. The main thing is that the rationale behind the research, which is probably like going right back to the beginning, is that there's growing evidence supporting it. The Timpson Review 2019 said that we should have teachers should have training on the underlying causes of poor behaviour, including attachment and trauma and speech, language and communication needs. The adoption barometer last year was calling for training. The government's approach to behaviour, the English behaviour guidance, does mention reasonable adjustments for big T trauma. Like if a child has had a parent's death, then you can put in reasonable adjustments for that. Yeah. And it says that schools may wish to provide training to staff on how um, special educational needs, disabilities and mental health affect behaviour. But I think we need more. People have said we need more. And we haven't got more. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always amazed when I, I do some training with teachers and just a, a lot of the really, well, on a really basic level, child development isn't, doesn't feature in a way that I would anticipate as a, you know, if you're teaching seven-year-olds, how do seven-year-olds seven -year -olds think? If you're teaching 13-year-olds, how do 13-year-olds think? What's going on in their bodies, in their heads, in their you know, in their emotions, all that kind of stuff. And it seems like that 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 would then hugely complement an understanding of small T and big T trauma, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I think the way the the country is headed towards teaching with those of teachers leaving, are we one day just gonna have children sat in a room with teaching just piped in onto a screen through to them? And then you don't need to know about child development because you're just gonna stick a load of children in a shed and play videos to them. Yeah, teachers should know about more about child development. And then if they understand the delays to development that various things cause, they'll have a much better understanding of these things. Yeah. So my last question is, for people who want to get involved in the study, is there any sort of limitations on, do they have to be teaching now? Um, they should be working in a school now. They don't necessarily have to be a teacher because I did widen it to teaching assistants just because right. I was finding it difficult to get participants. But teaching assistants are there on the front line. So yeah. there's no reason why they shouldn't be involved. But yeah, mainstream school, primary or secondary in the UK. Excellent. Well, what we'll do is we'll put all up, we'll push that. And um, is there a closing date for when they have to get to you by? There's no closing date. I've technically got another three years to write the thing. But I mean, the sooner the better, really. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want people listening to back episodes of the podcast and messaging you in 2027. <laughs> probably be still be writing in 2027. But, you know, well, by the end of yeah. 2023 would be good. Excellent. Right, well, we'll push as hard as we can. Um, Sophie, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, it sounds like a really interesting, really interesting research. And I'm really interested to know actually what you find out because I would love to know what actually is going on because there's so much talk around this. But actually feels like there's a real desire to find out actually what are yeah. people thinking and doing so thank you very much for your time and i wish you good luck thank you very much <laughs>